Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 4. In family worship with uh, my little people, we have spent a fair amount of time in uh, Deuteronomy, and we had uh, been paying particular attention to the many things uh, said in Deuteronomy concerning children, in particular things said about children, their relationship to uh, the covenant of grace and its visible administration, um, things pertaining to them and the life of the church, things pertaining to them and uh, the worship of the church. And that point we will uh, we will come back to um, in just a little bit uh, later on this evening. Uh, but first, uh, a little bit about uh, Joshua so that you can put this text in context, a, a very simple four-point outline for orienting in, in Joshua. If you can remember one thing about it, just remember the promised land. That can be a, an organizing principle and something to help you remember. But in the first five chapters, they enter the promised land so you get the uh, the famous crossing of Jordan, not in boats and barges, not at a shallow fording place, but the splitting of Jordan by the divine power. And here in chapter four, we're going to see a uh, a monument erected to that to that miracle. Uh, chapters 6 through uh, 12 are the conquest of the promised land. Um, basically has two or three campaigns, depending upon how you, how you count them. They take the central hill country in uh, uh, Benjamin and Judea first. And then there is a southern campaign, so they move from there southward. And then finally, there is a, a northern campaign. But once they have covered the extent of the land, it is time to divide the land, which they do in chapters 13 through 21. That's when the, the tribes receive their inheritance in the promised land by lot. And those lots are uh, described in some detail. And then in chapters 22 through 24, you have... Uh, the settling of religion in the land by means of covenant renewal. So by settling, I don't mean in some ways a, a new settlement or a new religion or anything like that, but rather uh, there's going to be covenant uh, renewal in, in their midst at that time. So with that in view, we come to uh, chapter 4, and let us give our attention to God's word, and in particular, uh, note what is said about uh, children in this text. Joshua chapter 4. And it came to pass, when all the people were clean past over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe a man, 
and command ye them, saying, Take ye hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of Jordan, as the Lord spake unto Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there unto this day. For the priests which bear the Ark stood in the midst of Jordan, until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people, according to all that Moses commanded Joshua. And the people hasted and passed over. And it came to pass, when all the people were clean, passed over, that the ark of the Lord passed over, and the priests in the presence of the people. And the children of Reuben, and the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the children of Israel, as Moses spake unto them. About forty thousand prepared for war passed over before the Lord unto battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Command the priests that bear the ark of the testimony that they come up out of Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come ye up out of Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up unto the dry land, that the waters of Jordan returned unto their place and flowed over all his banks as they did before. And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, when your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you 
until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. So there is at the at the beginning of the chapter and at the end of the chapter the mention of the erecting of a stone monument. And uh, if you look at verse 9, it rather appears more properly that there were two stone monuments. So the uh, 12 men were selected and while the... Um, River Jordan was split, they were instructed to go in, go near to where the priests were with the ark, to take stones. I guess we might suppose that they were large. It would be pretty evident that they were uh, river stones because, of course, they would be worn smooth by uh, the erosion of uh, the water, so they would have a distinctive appearance. Uh, they wouldn't look like the other uh, stones uh, right around there uh, but they they took these up we're not told exactly how they were um, set up or how they were arranged but they were set up in some way as a monument to what God had done for them at that point in the parting of Jordan uh, a miracle very much like unto the passing of the Red Sea and then they set up a second monument in the midst of Jordan before the waters come back. It's not easy to tell exactly how this would have been visible. Perhaps they stacked stones so that at least during some times of the year, this um, monument was visible in the midst of the river. This also would be a sign that um, the river had been parted. You know, they were able to erect a monument in the, in the middle of it. Um, uh, maybe, um, even if it was below the surface, you know, when you have when you have stones below the surface but somewhat close to the surface, it can still disturb the flow of the water and be visible. Maybe part of the year it was one way and part of the year it was the other, depending. But, but they have erected here uh, two monuments. And it is expected that these monuments, in particular the one on ground, would be so remarkable that it would lead children to ask, what's the significance of, of this monument? And it was really when we came to this in our, in our family worship that I, I thought that there were things worth saying to um, all of the children of our uh, congregations. I can remember, um, and I find myself traveling back, as I've mentioned to you before, more and more in my mind, going back to, to childhood, sometimes without even trying, but sometimes on purpose, um, trying to understand the experience of my children, to uh, remember what it was like so that I can enter into a, a greater and a deeper sympathy with them. And I can be remember being a child and knowing, like for example, that my parents have gotten together with other adults, that it would be 
uh, adult conversation that there wouldn't be the slightest thing to interest me and so um, I wouldn't even try to listen or follow the conversation I would uh, immediately turn my mind and my attention to other things the things that would interest and uh, delight the mind of a child I remember doing that um, I remember sometimes knowing, for example, that there's going to be lots of adult conversation and uh, coming prepared with other things to do because I knew that what was going on there really wasn't, it really wasn't for me. And even if I had exerted myself, there probably would have been very little of it that I would have understood. I've, I've seen this in others uh, now, you know, I, I see children, I see children in particular come to worship with a similar kind of mentality, same kind of mentality I came to uh, adult conversations. I would think to myself, there's really not anything here for me, nothing to interest me, and so I, I wouldn't try. Sometimes, sadly, I've, I've been in worship assemblies and I, I've seen uh, you know, families, whole families come prepared with that very thing in mind. There's not going to be anything here for the children, and so we've got all all kinds of other entertainment devices to keep them occupied while the while the adult stuff is is going on. Um, but I do want to say uh, to you all that the worship of God is not just for the adults. Uh, the worship of God is for you guys as well. Western Christianity for a while now has had a tendency to uh, ship children off to other facilities during uh, worship, but that's not something that you will find in the scripture. What you will find is uh, a very different model so not too long ago, just a few pages, but flip back with me to Deuteronomy 31. This is just one example of, of many that we could give. Uh, but here, um, as we're getting ready to leave the book of Deuteronomy, we have a, a remembrance of the reading of God's law. Um, at tabernacles in the seventh year. So pick up with me, Deuteronomy 31, beginning in verse 10. And Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seventh year, in the solemnity of the year of release in the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel has come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, Thou shalt read his law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and children, and thy stranger that is within thy gates, that they may hear and that they may learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of this law, and that their children, which have not known anything, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as ye live in the land, whether ye go over Jordan to possess it. 
So think of the, the reading of the uh, Pentateuch. A lot of times for children, if it's hard to listen to somebody speak uh, directly to them, it's even harder for them to listen and pay attention if, if somebody's reading to them. And maybe even harder still if it's, if it's something that's got the depth and sophistication of those first five books of Moses, right? And yet here we find them present for worship uh, for that very thing and at that very time, all for the purposes so that they might learn. And that learning ultimately leads to a deepening relationship with God and worship as they learn things about him. They learn to, so he's speaking, he's revealing himself, and then they're learning to respond to him appropriately. Uh, they respond with the fear of the Lord, reverencing him, um, delighting in him, responding in their, in their prayers and in their praises. But we could go further and, and point out that children are not just a part of, not just part of, say, formal worship services or something like that, but they are part of the, the life of the church. Uh, turn with me to Titus chapter 1. So this is going to be toward the, toward the back of your Bible. Past the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, but in front of, say, Hebrews. It's Hebrews, it's too far. Uh, Titus chapter 2, I'm sorry. But there's so much in Titus about, about body life, about the way that uh, ministers are supposed to relate to the members of their flock. But then we get all of this counsel about um, different, different ages, classes and categories of people relating to one another. So look with me at Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed, Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. So in, in all of this, as Titus is being given duties, his relationship to his, to his people is being formed up and informed. But also, as he's doing his duties, there are, there are interrelationships. You, here specified, you have the, the older women teaching the the younger women, so far from them being from them being isolated from one another in body life, and and so much of what goes on in 
Western Christianity ends up being age segregated. But here, uh, the ideas of them uh, being together. And the passage goes on in, in this way. You're going to get exhortations to servants and their relationships to masters and, and uh, so on. But my point is the presence of the of the young in uh, body life, not sent away, not not sequestered, but but part of it. And we could go on and on. Um, you probably know quite famously in First John that famous repetition of exhortations to um, uh, to children and to the young men and to the old men and and um, and so on. And part of that uh, functioning in in body life is, in a general way, is also indicated in our text in in Joshua four, as they are living life in the midst of the people of God. Um, they they have all around them the monuments of God's revelation, the things that God has done for His people. Uh, of course, that's going to have the worship elements, the reading and preaching of God's word in public, the reading of the word to them in in private. But but all the time, every day, and in a thousand ways, there are going to be these monuments of the divine activity in the midst of uh, the people of God, and they are there, they are present, and they are being encouraged to uh, to ask questions. Uh, so I, so I want to I, I really want to do justice to both of those those elements that the worship of the people of God is not just for adult people, it is for children. And then you know body life they're going to be included in in all of that. One thing just by way way of note to uh, adults. Uh, I've been so blessed in the in the heritage that I have received from uh, from my own parents. I have had some um, some interactions with some some remarkable older people in my youth, some um, uh, un people of uncommon scholarship, people of uncommon uh, piety. There are, there are a lot of things about my own father that are excellent, but um, my dad has always been a, a first-rate disciplinarian, which doesn't sound like it should give you a warm fuzzy, right? I, I don't suppose, but um, my dad was a, a Marine. He is a straight arrow, tough sound, solid, committed. And as, as far as um, like doing fundamental disciplinary things for us as children to get us ready for other things, uh, he just had a mind for all of the steps. So for example, you know, he, he did this and then later he would say it to me. He was telling me what he what he did. I know he did it, but then he, later he talked about what it was and what was on his mind. But he would say things like, you know, before a, a child can can listen to a thirty minute lesson, for example, 
they have to have the discipline to sit for 30 minutes, right? There, there are like mechanical things that have to be able to happen uh, to get where you want to go with them. And through his, through his example and his instruction, um, I learned that those things are not to be despised. That's, that's not a small thing just for a child to gain the self-discipline that they can be placed in a, in a seat and stay there for, for the time that's going to be required eventually for other things, uh, higher things. Uh, as I, as I watch young people now grow into adulthood, you'd be surprised at how many don't have the self-discipline to just sit through a service. They've, they've never been disciplined to that. So those, those mechanical things might not seem like much, but, um, uh, they are the sine qua nones of those higher order things without which not if you don't if you can't do these things you won't be able to do uh, the other things so even when that's all that a, a child is doing they're just simply being taught to be quiet be still and so on uh, th those are worthwhile exercises but if, you, if you're old enough to understand what I'm saying to you now, um, you're, if you can understand it, you're, ready, you're already ready for more. And I would say this. Remember what I pointed out. I remember what it was like to be a child. I remember what it was to think that certain activities were just for adults and that I would just altogether check out. But remember what I'm saying to you. That's not true with respect to worship. And I know that you're not going to understand everything. But if it's if it's been your habit not to try very hard or not to pay very much attention, how about this? Just try to understand one thing, right? Because in the worship of God, ultimately, we're meeting with God. And if we understand it rightly, it's not about the preacher and the human voice. We understand that God is speaking to us in his word read and preached, his, his word read and taught. God is speaking to us. And he's not just speaking to the adults, he's speaking to the children. He's speaking to you. And maybe you're not going to understand all of it, truth be told. I read Joshua 4, and I don't understand all of it. I will spend the rest of my life coming back to Joshua 4 over and over again, trying to understand more of it. But if your habit has been to understand no things from worship, pay attention and try to grab one thing. And once you're able to grab one thing, then try to make it two. Uh, I, I think that you will start to find that with some effort, you begin to grow in your understanding. And this, and this matters. I, what I have found, it's not always easy for us to, to see ourselves and the effects that these things have in the long run, but other people see and they recognize. Uh, I haven't always felt like I was a brilliant educator for my children in every area. I'm sorry, you guys aren't going to be great mathematicians unless you do it <laughs> by your own efforts. Sorry. But um, one of the things that people have always said about our children is 
their their ability with language, their ability to to hear and understand, and that's really been the fruit of um, worship and the habits and rhythms of uh, not just weekly worship on the Sabbath, but daily family worship, and just the mechanics of all right, we need to sit during this time. All right, now that you can, let's try to get one thing. Try to be able to talk about one thing. Let's try to get two things and, and so on until pretty soon you might find that you are picking up most of the points of the, the pastor. But probably most of the adults around you can testify that on any given Lord's Day, they probably only get most of them. Maybe they didn't, they don't remember some or they got distracted or maybe there might be a thing or two that they didn't really, that they really didn't understand. One other thing, and I think that this will make it more lively for you, as we're listening to God speak to us in his word, we're not just reading stuff like the way that you might, the way you might learn about a person when you read a biography. When you read a biography, and most of you children will have read one or had one read to you, you learn about a person so uh, with my children, we've been reading about Calvin. We learn about Calvin, uh, but we don't really get to know Calvin. That would, that would require something else, something different. But in, in worship, we're not just coming to learn about God. We do that, but we're getting to know God. So all of the things that we learn about God ought to then become aspects of our relationship with God. But but one final thing to try to um, reinforce this to you, sometimes maybe all you might be able to do is wonder about a thing, or maybe you're even confused about a thing. And good questions are profitable too. If you walk away from a worship service um, or um, a time of family worship or even a, a conversation, an adult conversation is going on around you where the history of the covenant is being discussed um, and you are left with questions, that's good. And that's, that's what Joshua is talking about. And it's not just Joshua. Here, there's the anticipation they're going to ask about the stones. It's one of the reasons the stones are being erected, is so that what God did for them at Jordan would never be forgotten. They're being erected there so that children will ask about them. But flip back with me to Exodus chapter 12. So if you are an ancient Israelite and you are traveling through the region and the children saw the stones, they might, they might ask. But as part of the cycle of uh, yearly worship, you would come to the Passover. So Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 25. And it shall come to pass when ye become to the land which the Lord will give you, according as he hath promised, that ye shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? Then ye shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt, 
when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed their head and worshipped. See, the, one of the things that the, the Passover was designed to do was stimulate questions in uh, children. So, but I might, might also say this, in order for questions to be raised in your mind, you still have to be paying attention and you still have to be trying. And hopefully just the knowledge of knowing that, you know, like, it's not about Dr. Dilday's ridiculous voice or delivery or anything. God, God is speaking to me through his word. Hopefully that's enough to stimulate your interest. And I know that you won't understand everything that is said, but if you try, uh, you might very well begin to form questions. And that's a good place to begin. And once you have a question, make sure you don't lose your question. Uh, write it down to make sure that you can ask it, because it's in the asking of questions uh, that we begin to, to gather up uh, knowledge. And here it's not just any kind of knowledge. It's knowledge of our God so that we might grow um, in an ever-deepening uh, relationship with him. But the our great God of heaven and earth doesn't just desire relationship with uh, adult people in covenant with him. He also desires a relationship with the with the children of the covenant. This means you. Let us pray together.